0: Welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 41. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and we are brought to you by Home Field Apparel and PointsBet, and we're a proud member of the Blue Wire podcast network. I am joined today by Dan, a.k.a.
1: Thick Dan, how are you doing? Uh, Doing terrific. Um, I I, uh, spent the last couple of days online going goblin mode, getting upset about recruiting, Um, roughly... 10 months away from national signing day. Um, and uh, as we know, that's like the most healthy way to be is um, just not really understanding why there aren't enough like cornerback offer offers out um, in April uh the year be- before any of these players have played their senior year. Um, and, uh, and yeah, no, I think it's, I think that, that um, I'm that what, what I'm uncovering and, and what I'm reacting to is potentially the downfall of Michigan football um, is, is it oh, yeah. slow, slow recruiting momentum in April. Um, and uh, I I'm definitely I definitely don't need to relax and go to therapy and, you know, arguing with other other people on message boards in April is definitely you know, healthy behavior. Yep. Not absolutely. a sign that you need to do your taxes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, the, the IRS can't tell me why uh, Mike Elston's defensive line board is underrated. Um, <laughs> there's nothing. It's like I'm, I'm right now I'm auditing Michigan recruiting. Okay. There's no auditing going on with my taxes. My, all my shit is up to snuff. My W2s are flawless. Okay. I'm I'm doing auditing and, and uh, people are going to jail for fraud. It's, uh, it's that season, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Um, Dan, uh, I'm just going to kick it right back to you for your big mood because it's, it's both out of left field. and has the most to do with actual football. So,
1: uh, and that's going to be most of this podcast. So we might as well (laughs) lean into that. Right. Um, so full disclosure, um, I, I decided I was going to talk about this like a minute before recording, um, and Ace has not heard any of this. He doesn't know about any of this. So um, a lot of this is probably going to be like gawking and reacting to what was said. Um, so for those of you that aren't, uh, that don't like obsessively follow college football every day of the year, um, weirdos, uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> there was a, a press conference um, for the University of Texas, uh, I think just basic spring availability, and a fifth-year senior um, named, and I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, Moro Ojomo, or yeah, Moro Ojomo, uh, fifth-year senior. Uh, I believe he is a defensive or offensive lineman. Doesn't really matter. Um, he made some pretty wild comments about Texas and the culture and um, NIL deals and, and young players. I'm just going to go uh, g- give you a little bit of a summary. And this is uh, uh, from Burnt Orange, um, Burnt Orange Nation, uh, the SB Nation site for uh, Texas. Um, so I'll go ahead here. They're 18 and they want to chase women, chase money, and chase alcohol, Ojoma said of his young teammates. They don't see the future. They're very distracted by what's in front of them. That's a hard thing especially for guys who haven't been in a winning culture. To me, it's very easy for a lot of these powerhouses to keep going because it's established. So the new guys come in and they're like, oh, shit, this is how we have to do it. This is what we do. They always talk about coming here and changing stuff. It's like it's ingrained. Like you're uprooting, what, 10 years of shit that's just been let go? By the way, he is literally referring hes referring to Texas football as 10 years of shit. <laughs> Man. Um, they're more worried about being on Sixth Street, which I'm assuming is like the party street for uh, in, in Austin, than like balling and making fifty million. It's crazy as hell, um, and I think he's re- he's referring to making fifty million as like going to the NFL. Um, uh, okay, sorry. It's sad, Ojomo said of Longhorns players not taking advantage of the advantages of their opportunities on the forty acres. I have this accountability group. And I met with my group and I tried to impart on them how many guys I came in with that had talent and have done nothing with themselves. It's sad. They have a bare minimum degree and made no money off football. Holy, I didn't even read this part. That's wild to say. Um, I I mean, he's probably right, but like that's, that's, you don't hear people say that. No, I tried to impart on them that you can't waste this opportunity. Some of them escaped Caden Stearns, uh, Joseph uh, asai um, I think those are guys that were successful but there are a lot more that should have been should have been with them and didn't make it out uh one of Ojomo's most sharp sharp he's comments, talking about Texas football like it's prison oh my god yeah i know seriously <laughs> one of Ojomo's most sharp comments was in response to a question about so many players on the team by the way, this is i have read this before this is very funny <laughs> the team believing they're going to make the NFL. They have to understand it doesn't happen on autopilot, Ojomo said. There's so many people who have this effed up mentality of thinking they're going to go to the NFL and they haven't touched the field. It's the funniest thing to me. It's like (laughs) (laughs) you haven't touched the field in three years and they'll be like, oh, no, I'm going to get my bread, dog. It's very funny. (laughs) Um, I know this is a lot, but I'm going to keep going because I think it's good. Yeah. Um, this whole offseason, I think that me and a couple guys who have been here a minute have tried to be more outward focused and worried about the team because the team is going to uh, gonna need to win however many games to go in whatever round we need to get drafted in. Working on actually being a family and brotherhood is a huge, huge focus. Um, hold on one second. Um, and then, uh, oh, guys don't want to get together. Guys don't want to spend time together. They don't see, they're so young and stupid. I don't know how to explain it. They need us. They need the team. And it's so difficult because NIL makes your mind turn its focus on more social media and more exposure. It's a very in-depth problem. Um, They have to somehow see the 24 year old, 25 year old, maybe signing their second NF, contract in the NFL for 50 million, as opposed to the 20, the 20 year old making 40 K off NIL sleeping with women, drinking and, and all as, as, a, as is opposed this guy to
0: a 40th year senior. Cause he sounds crazy. like an old man. Oh, I know. Yeah. This is so
1: like, yeah, this is, this is a very like success win mentality. Is, yes. Um, I this mean, is he, like he's bo- like, totally, this is a boomer rant, man. Yeah, This is, this is a very boomer rant. Um, so you've got, I mean, f- fifth year seniors are the boomers of, of college football. Um, <laughs> 50 million Ojomo said you're living in Spanish Oaks you're living in Westlake traveling when you want you've got a Rolls-royce outside that's the life they have to see and they have to understand it's not gonna happen on autopilot um, okay he does follow some success win Twitter accounts to be sure yeah oh for sure <laughs> for sure uh, and then basically um, so and then all of that and it's uh, basically like uh, that no one stopped him but then like the next day um, uh, Sark was like, yeah, so he's not going to be available for a while, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, fair. Um, yeah. But, I but saw people anyways. criticizing
0: Sark about that specifically and hadn't seen what he was referring to. Right. And, right. Yeah, in, in this context,
1: um, you cannot blame Sark for that one. Yeah, can't, cannot be too upset <laughs> with Steve Sarkeesian in that instance. Um, so yeah, I think there's a couple of different angles here and I think we, we're going to have to try not to like do the entire podcast on this because, oh my goodness, that's a lot. Um, I think it's interesting the, uh, that the NIL portion, I mean, like, I think, look, we're all in favor of players getting paid. Um, of course we've made that position very clear on this podcast, but I think it's interesting that, that there are, it feels like there are certain programs that are letting that become more of a distraction than, than, um, than others. And I think it's interesting because a lot, like, and, and I heard this This was said on the uh, on a Split Zone duo the other day. Um, so credit to them. Uh, but th- I think it was interesting what they said. They said, it's for NIL, a lot of people think of it as like getting paid to play football. And it is basically for a, in a lot of instances. But in, in a lot of other ways, like, it is kind of like a second job, you know? It's like these guys are doing advertising for these companies. They're not just like getting paid just to play football. So it's interesting that like that 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 is a concern even at the player level for like, you know, are we letting NIL kind of drive a wedge between our team and and, and distract us? Um, so I, I think it's like like usually when I hear coaches say that I'm like, okay, like shut up. Like I know you're just mad players getting paid. But When you hear players start to say it, I, th- I, I think that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a certain level, like, it does seem to be becoming an issue at the programs where it's like, if it weren't this, it'd be something else that would be driving a wedge through the steam. Right. Yeah. Um, like, Texas just never seems to have uh, their proverbial shit together. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it has to be a, a certain level of distraction where, like, it's part of your... I I can't say job as a student athlete because uh, first of all, I shouldn't use that term Um, as a college athlete. It's kind of now it comes with the territory that you're a part-time marketer of yourself. Yeah, Um, Because I mean, you mentioned like doing the advertising part of it. You also got to connect with these people. And for a lot of that, these athletes, that's kind of like finding an intermediary to help and, all of this is kind of at a very you know early relatively unregulated stage where you're seeing some kind of sketchy stuff pop up on instagram every once in a while and like i can't imagine that there is a good system in place at each of these schools to kind of streamline the process and not make it so that a lot of these dudes and and women playing sports feel like they have to kind of spend a lot of their time, like on Instagram, making sure that they capitalize on the short-term opportunity that they have. Because I mean, I know this Texas guy who is 23 going on 400. Is it
1: a mutual friend? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, like it sounds like he was upset about like, um, like these players thinking that they'll make the NFL, but I, th- I think in general, most college players are relatively realistic about how few of them actually do make it. So for a lot of them, I think it makes a certain level of sense to go, well, I I have this
1: opportunity here to make money while I'm at Texas, and that's going to be my focus. So so let me actually push back on that, Ace, because I kind of disagree. I, I think there are a lot of college athletes that are realistic about making the NFL, but I think just based on the college athletes that I've met and the uh, like, you have to be really confident to be this level of an athlete. That's true. And I really do think that there are, like, if you talk to, like, the average, like, third-string linebacker, I think that, like, he's like, oh, no, yeah, like, I'm going to not get, maybe get drafted He's like, I'm going to, like, you know, once I get to the NFL, like, that's when I'm going to, like, be able to shine.
0: Yeah, and, actually, like, given that John O'Corn came out of Michigan,
1: like, exactly, I'm going to show you guys exactly. in the NFL. like And, I, yeah, Vince, and Vincent Gray there. declared for the draft. I mean, and Vincent Gray might get drafted at the end of the draft, but whatever. Like, I think, and, and it goes with all, like, and I'm not even saying, like oh, they're so stupid because I'm – I think that it just comes with, to get to that level, you have to like believe in yourself so much and be so confident that I think a lot of the guys that, um, a lot of the guys that aren't that confident tend to like get weeded out through the process because like, you just have to believe you believe in yourself so much to like get to that point. Um, but I think it's, and I, you see it like with, you know, like with, with uh, a lot of guys that like declare for the NBA draft every year where we're like, n- not even necessarily at Michigan, but other places where it's like, man, really like this, this guy, it's like, they, they really are willing to bet on themselves. So I, I do think that that's, I think it's an interesting comment from him. Um, and, uh, and I don't think he's right about everything to be clear. Like I no. think that it's, so he's a little bit being, he's a little bit being boomer, but, uh, I think, I think it's interesting that, um, and I think it'll be interesting to see, like you said, what kind of, what schools have the infrastructure to kind of funnel this money into the right places. Um, it's like there's going to be two kinds of, you know, there's we're the so it's not another job for the, the right. Athletes. Exactly. Cause, and I think some you've seen Michigan and you've seen um, I think I've seen Michigan, and Michigan State do things like this. I'm not sure about other schools, but I know that there's like there's basically portals and there's people that are going to help like, OK, the, you know, Subway wants to advertise with Blake Corum, like we're going to do all the like the setting that up, Blake, all you got to do is show up this day, you know, whatever, like like that's the right way to do it. Right. And then obviously there's the NIL funds that are just kind of like slush funds where it's like we're paying you like to quote unquote like advertise, you know, where it's it's some sham and and they're just paying them to play football, which, by the way, I'm fine with that, too. Yes, let's drop the pretense. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I'm, and even these Texas guys, like I'm happy they're getting paid, however they're getting paid. But I think it's going to be interesting because I think places like Texas where, you know, Texas, one of the famously like just poorly run operations in all of sports really (laughs) um in terms of just squandering talent and just like squandering natural advantages etc um is probably a lot of people in texas that have a lot of money were just like let's just pour money on this problem and now that we can right with nil and in some ways that's the right thing to do like i think we saw a lot of things where they were um All of their offensive linemen got like hundred thousand dollar deals just like whatever they did but i think that it's like i think that a lot of the people doing that for texas are probably not like checking in with like the head coach first and when you have money just kind of like bursting through every door of, of the program i think it will create problems i think it will distract players and it will like drive divisions when, when it's not focused through like a, you know, like a central figure um, like, you know, Nick Saban, like we, we know like Alabama players are, are, are certainly getting, getting their bread <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, which is good. But like, you know, Nick Saban has got that, like with an iron fist, like, like making sure that it's, it's organized the right way. And I think you're really going to find out like which schools are, more Wild West and don't have a good handle on it. And which ones were really ready for this moment?
0: Yeah, Texas boosters. Uh, if you listen to uh, Split Zone, do the podcast Dan mentioned earlier, you will know that Texas boosters are famously unaligned. <laughs> and yep. that is not the case with Alabama currently. Although uh, before Nick Saban, Alabama was a lot like Texas. Um, but um, in Michigan's case. I think things are pretty well aligned because uh, especially now that Al Glick has passed, it, it is Stephen Ross <laughs> um, and then everybody else. Uh, and generally, it seems like Michigan has pretty good alignment on what they want to get done. They just don't always have the same goals as I would. So um, yeah, it will be fascinating to see, Like, regardless of the programs, um, are we going to get you Know more guys transferring because they think that their schools aren't taking care of them NIL wise instead of just you know where they are on the depth chart. Uh, are there more guys from smaller programs who transfer up to bigger programs, or is it the other way around? Because you might be you might want to play big fish in the small pond and be right. you know the most marketable guy on the Akron zips or something like I, I could see that being appealing to some guys too. So
1: yeah, I think it's good yeah I think it's gonna be interesting I think it's it's you're gonna start to see where it'll be interesting to see what what athletes can because we're, we're really we are seeing like with with the transfer portal and the the, the uh, proliferation of Nil you're seeing a lot of smaller school guys being like oh I can go be the guy at if you're a really elite talent like for instance Kenneth Walker right mm-hmm. really good at Wake Forest. Wake Forest just never going to have, like, the, the spotlight of, of Michigan State. Go to Michigan State. I'm sure he made a, a, a lot off NIL. I, I, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm assuming, you know, um, and you're seeing stuff like that. You're seeing smaller school to bigger school transfers, and you're seeing some of those bigger schools, smaller school, and you're seeing, like, NIL being used to actively recruit in the portal. So, I mean, I, it, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I think right now, schools and players are really figuring out what the rules of the game are going to be it's very wild west right now like we're seeing million dollar deals for five-star quarterbacks we're seeing six-figure deals for uh for like five-star offensive tackles in the portal we're seeing all kinds of stuff and like I think the market is going to regulate itself at a certain point Mm. but right now it's just going bananas um and uh it's I don't know. It's better than it was before because at least you're getting paid a little bit. But it's it's certainly not like good um, at all. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, in this? I, I feel like there's a lot here. Um, I feel like just generally like, lol, Texas. Um, very funny for him to call the last 10 years of football in Texas shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I think we basically got everything. But anything else you wanted to touch there, Ace?
0: No, I mean, like you said, it's going to be fascinating to see how the market works itself out because you got to imagine that some of these boosters are not totally accustomed to – They might not be drilling down the numbers on like what percentage of four and five stars actually end up starting <laughs> and making all conference and whatever, like, you know, you don't, you don't think the Texas- expecting like this 100% return on
1: investment. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't think the Texas A&M oil barons are like doing some really hard hitting analysis before they spend like. 20 million dollars on a recruiting class allegedly I mean to be honest possibly (laughs) (laughs) yeah they might be doing it yeah they might be doing that Um, but
0: do I expect that at every school absolutely not like there are going to be some people throwing some money in around and expecting things that aren't going to happen because only so many teams can be good uh and only so many players will be good and I, I just think it's going to be um I'm worried about what will happen when, like, if the blame for that falls on the players instead of the people
1: making these um, rather rash investments. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be – I mean, yeah, like, the Texas A&M's and, like, the people that really do have, like, more money than God, It's that's one situation where they probably don't even care. Like, that's probably a drop in the bucket for them. And that's, like, what – like, as, long as, the, as much talent as they can get into Texas A&M, they'll just get it. Um, but it will be interesting to see, like, this – I know Tennessee allegedly, allegedly uh, paid like for, um, a million dollars for a five-star quarterback recruit, and those aren't a sure thing, you know what I mean? So it'll be int- like Quinn Ewers, same thing with Ohio State, like he he got like a million dollars and like transferred. So it's like, it'll be interesting to see like if these boosters get burnt and then decide like, yeah, maybe I don't want to do that, you know? Quinn Ewers, arguably the greatest Buckeye. Oh, yeah. no, not even out. arguably, didn't play a snap, Owen uh, one against Michigan. <laughs> um, and it, and it took like millions of dollars from like, you know, some guard car dealership. And, uh, and then be, which by the way, that's not, they probably not a drop in the bucket for like a car dealership. Like that's, no. that's a pretty small time business to be given out like six, uh, you know, seven figure deals. And then immediately transfers back to Texas where I'm sure that, you know, that was all just to go get closer to home. No, no, no financial incentives there. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think. Look, if t- my last thought on this is: I think if, if Texas boosters really wanted to get serious, um, the first thing they would do is, is lobby for uh, a, a full conversion over to clean energy in this country, so the Texas A and M can't can't buy like. Fifty of the top hundred recruits in the uh, in the two two four seven composite because um, I actually did a this is a whole different topic that we don't have to go into but I was looking at that the other day just like going recruit by recruit and it is bananas it's like twenty it's like NCAA twenty fourteen recruiting where you just get every five star it's it it's like honestly sickening <laughs> uh, yeah I, it's it's going to be very weird when Texas A and M is either
0: new Alabama or. Uh, the biggest waste of football
1: talent outside of Texas. <laughs> it's it's going to be so int- and again like te- I could I could really go off on t- the Texas a has like been my like weird like new obsession because I think it's like to see them to see a team fully just go like oh no we're going to get every five star is kind of wild um, but it'll be interesting because they like that has the potential to either like win mo- multiple national titles or implode. Spectacularly. Remember so, when we'll Ole Miss kind of tried this, <laughs> but it's not even on the same. I mean, Ole Miss there, it was there, like, okay, the they got doing like a, so much. Yeah, pain. it's 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 like no one's ever tried to do this. No one's ever had like this crazy of a recruiting class that is so obviously cheating. <laughs> SMU would like a word, but that's I, true. I feel yeah, like... <laughs> right. you have yeah, to yeah. go back. So, a while. so the one time it happened, we had to kill the program. <laughs> so uh, so like I don't know what what kind of precedent that sets. Um, I would very much love to see a Texas A&M death penalty. That would, th- I think Texas would succeed. I think that like you would, or there would be some kind of like civil war within Texas. If, if they gave Texas A&M the death penalty, <laughs> it'd be pretty incredible. Uh, it'd be awesome. So that's enough time on my big mood. I'm sorry. I've, take, I've taken up now like probably 30 minutes of the podcast. No, test. that was fantastic. <laughs> uh,
0: speaking of not maximizing your potential. Uh, my big mood is that um, the WNBA is very close to having the perfect draft and ESPN just needs to show it. Um, I sat down to watch Nods Hillman get drafted on Monday, and she went 15th, the Atlanta Dream, uh, which is a second-round pick, the WNBA, not a big league. Uh, 12 selections in East Round, and uh, that would normally put her kind of in danger of getting cut. Um, but uh, she's landing on a rebuilding team with more roster spots than available than most team has. Teams have. Um, I'll be writing about this for the newsletter. So I will stop rambling about, uh, that end of things. But what was remarkable about the draft was that, um, unlike the NFL where teams seem to like, even the number one overall pick when they've known who they're going to draft for months, they'll get on the clock and they will use all 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is now that the NFL does or the NBA, you just get these teams where they're like, well, just, you know, who knows if someone's going to call us and offer us LeBron James. And, uh, It never happens. (laughs) And you and the draft (laughs) takes forever. (laughs) Um the WNBA fit 36 picks into uh a tidy two hours, I would say. And this would have been fantastic if ESPN had just broadcast it like a normal draft, where you know, you talk about team needs and uh the player strengths and who's on the board and who's going and all that stuff, but Instead, they tried to do, like, they, they tried to turn it into this whole, like, the state of women's sports today type of a thing, and it was way too much packed into a broadcast, and you had a number of players, especially in the second and third round, um, where you did not see them get, uh, like, there was no mention or announcement of them, like, you just saw it crawl along the bottom line, and that was it, like, and... Um, that's. Uh, I mean, I get that. Like sometimes you have that in, say, the seventh round of the NFL draft. But considering that the um, healthy pace that this was moving at, uh, there was not need for filler, and instead it felt like the filler overshadowed the actual draft in a lot of ways. Thankfully, they spent uh, time on Nas Hillman because she was there, but I think for a lot of fans who tuned into the draft looking to see their favorite college player get taken uh they might have left pretty disappointed that uh there was almost no mention of them on the entire broadcast and that's also got to be kind of a bummer for the players too who are getting picked and it's supposed to be this big exciting thing and they're going you know among the top 35 players in their class or so and uh yeah not getting mentioned on espn when uh this is kind of a a chance to let them shine so uh I would I just I I wish women's sports would just be covered like sports. And, and I, a, I, like yep. a lot of times they, they get so far in the way of talking up um, how important it is that this network is showing the sport that they're showing that it's like, no, like you're messing it up by doing this. Just just show us the sport. Give me Doris Burke. Like let let, let her talk about basketball. And and instead, I mean I mean, I get that you're going to have human interest pieces and stuff like that
1: in a draft, but like at some point I would like some analysis, please. Yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree. Um, And I think I'm sympathetic to the coverage that women's sports get sometimes because I think a lot of times you have, especially former women's basketball players or women women athletes in general, um, trying to trying to make the case for women's sports during the event right and it's like i get it because they're they're personally invested they want to put the best foot forward and they want to say like see like this is like you know look how good this is and they're right like i i really enjoyed this was you know full disclosure the first time i've full i've really really watched uh, a any women's sports team like like see full season through and i really enjoyed it like i didn't need to be like I didn't need to be um, convinced to come back to the TV every night. Right. And I think that a lot of times the announcers in, and it seems like it would the same thing for the draft. um, I watched a little bit of the draft too. It's then, and like, like I said, like they didn't really even mention um, Nas Hellman or like the players getting drafted at all. Really. It's, I think a lot of times they're trying to like make the case for, for the WNBA or for women's sports as the events happening. it's like, look, I'm already here watching. Assume that you've got me. You know, yeah. talk about this like you know. No one's making the case for the NFL during the NFL draft, right? It's it's like you, the way you're going to convince more people to watch, and it, it's it is growing, right? I think the, the the women's NCAA tournament had like the highest ratings in in years. It's it's like one of the only few sports that's like growing year over year consistently, um, which is awesome to see. Uh, but like, you're not going to like get people to. You're not going to convince people by saying like, wow, look at this great game. Like this really proves that women's sports like, can be good. It's like, no, just talk about what a great game it is. You know, like just just don't 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 like be actively making the sale as I am like like you got me. I'm watching like, you know, you've made the sale already. So, yeah, um, and you can I, tell I that the
0: agree. you can tell that the order for that kind of comes from on high, too, because like I mean, like Rebecca Lobo was on. The desk for the you know ESPN's WNBA coverage. I've I've heard her call games. She is tremendously incisive, and you know calls the game in a very you know straightforward analytical matter manner, which I really uh, appreciate. And then for this draft, you know she's she kind of has to just go along with this script that they've got, and it's it was just kind of like on one hand I'm like man this is great like this draft is going so fast like it is like I wasn't even really planning on watching the whole thing. And then I was sitting there like, well, at this point, like (laughs) I might as well, it's going at such a good speed and I'm getting familiar with these players, but, um, but then they come back from commercial and they're like four players were just selected. Here they are, here are their names and which teams they're going to. Um, And now here's a segment on the 30 for 30. We're airing right after this. It was like, Oh, come on. Like, you're just you're trying to fit five hours worth of content into two hours, and uh the stuff that's getting cut out is the stuff that people are actually there to see. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit uh a bit of a bummer that ESPN just seems to not get their presentation quite right with women's sports a lot of the time uh, when they are by far the biggest rights holders in women's sports, but um, they're also at least showing them. So there is that. Um, all right. That is enough big mood stuff. We're going to move to the segment that I teased for us last week. And then we never did because we spent too much time talking about the spring game. Um, this is the all spring game team uh, since 2009, when they kind of resurrected the spring game post Lloyd Carr, when it had drifted off to like um, Celine high school, uh, I'm not kidding. They held a spring game at Celine, um, So this is the modern spring game era. Uh, these were posts that I put up on the newsletter. Um, I think I am planning on uh, unlocking those posts at some point so people can just read them. But we're going to go through these teams and talk about what we can learn from this, if anything. Um, but I was, uh, not to give it away, but I was actually surprised at how useful it was to go through and pick out... Um, the biggest standouts from the spring game. It does seem like there is some uh, correlation there with actual performance in the fall. And given how spring games
1: go, I wasn't sure that would be the case. Um, <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure. I pitched this as an idea uh, to ACE is like, let's show how how like, you know, silly the spring games are um, to, you know, like, like all the standouts ended up kind of just being bust and like, not, not, uh, not really contributors, and we started going through it, and it's like, damn, actually, this is uh, there's some pretty good players that like had their coming out parties at spring games, um, yeah, particularly but the also defense when some... we get to it. The offense, <laughs> right.
0: the offense, mixed bag, definitely a mixed bag. Uh, so I can, speaking of which, at quarterback, uh, we have Tate Forcier from the 2009 game. Um, I made the uh. Christopher Walken weapon of choice matchup highlight video for this, so I was absolutely (laughs) obligated to to choose Forcier, but other than him, it would have been Denard Robinson in 2010, and I think that's about it. Like, Michigan has really not had many spring game performances at quarterback.
1: You you can can leave out spring game from that sentence. Uh, They haven't had many performances at quarterback. Um, I'll say honorable mention Alex Malzone, who is like the only like decent quarterback in 2015. I think the other quarterback was uh, that was before they got um Ruddock to come for transfer. So it was probably Shane Morris then. Shane Morris versus Alex Melzone and uh I will say Alex Melzone looked better than Shane Morris for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. That that isn't shocking. Running back
0: is uh the position most hurt by uh players sitting out the spring game because they're uh, the coaches are trying to keep them healthy in their guaranteed spots, and at running back, in particular, there's just no need to risk injury for your starters. Um, so the players I came up with here were uh Mike Cox in 2010 and Dennis Norfleet in 2013, mostly based off of one incredible jump cut. Um, but Cox was a guy who always looked the part physically and just uh would like run the wrong way on like one out of every four snaps that he was in the game on. Uh, and I mean like before the handoff, not afterwards. Uh, <laughs> and Northfleet was a, uh, a wee lad out of, out of Detroit who was, uh, tremendously shifty and just, uh, never really landed on a position at Michigan. He bounced between wide receiver, uh, running back and even a really ill-fated spring experiment at corner. Um, where, as it turns out, being 5'7 was a real hindrance. Um, But uh, running back, yeah, uh, a a weak position. Probably the weakest position on this board. Um, Although Mike Cox did have uh, a couple seasons where he stuck around in the NFL um, because, again, tremendous athlete. Just uh, didn't necessarily know where he should be going. Um, Wide receiver, uh, I had Ronnie Bell in 2019. Uh, Nate Shanley in 2017, who got so much hype that year in the spring. Oh, yeah. They, they, loved, they loved themselves some Nate Shanley. <laughs> and that that was a Michigan year with Nico Collins, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, and Tariq Black, who also was pretty good in that spring game, but was overshadowed by Nate Shanley, um, who, as it turns out, was not, uh, better than Tariq Black. But, you know, these things happen in the spring. Um, and then Roy Roundtree in 2009 as the, uh, kind of other end of the, uh, Tate
1: for CA connection. and uh, uh, they, they had a nice mind melt going. Um, I added in as a late section edition, cause this was a, 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 a glaring omission by Ace. I'm gonna have to call you out here on bodies. Um, Freddie canteen 2014. Yeah. To be um, honest, he should have replaced Ronnie bell. Uh, yep, it's gotta be Freddie canteen. That's that was an all time spring game. Jungle, jungle beats, Freddie canteen. Um, one of the greatest highlight videos of all time. Uh, we we were so I mean we were so starved for offense that 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 year. I remember that was my freshman year of college, and um, I was like, oh yeah, this guy is good. Like I can tell, like he's got he's got that dog in him. Um, and he, he was playing. I mean, he played at a school that was yeah. uh, entirely just a football academy, right? <laughs> and uh, he he looked good in the spring game, but um, and I, I, he wasn't. I mean. He, he never looked bad when he got on the field, but he never made much of an impact. think he maybe caught, like, three or four balls for Michigan um, and uh, transferred transferred out. But, yeah, that was an all-time – he was, like, the star of that spring game. And then, like, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um... Yeah, you might note that uh, that was the only 2014 offensive player now included on this all spring game team because 2014's offense, uh, it sucked. (laughs) It was really, really bad. Uh, At tight end, I have Tyrone Wheatley Jr. who went into the 2016 spring game with um, a lot of hype building because of a one-handed 75-yard touchdown catch in the open scrimmage they held at Ford Field that year like, a week or two before the spring game? This was, like, a weird, like, they basically played two spring games type of a thing. I but then that. Wheatley also had, like... I mean, this was one of the things where you have to uh, start putting the spring game into context. Wheatley was just so dang big that, like, if he caught a ball up the seam and you had a walk-on coming towards him, it was going to end extremely poorly for that walk-on. And that was basically what the this spring game was. And... Uh, it was impossible not to be really, really impressed by his physical tools. And unfortunately Wheatley just never really put it
1: together. Yeah. He, uh, he, it, 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 yeah, absolutely. He was, um, he was one where it always felt like he was just either a couple pounds away from being a really good offensive tackle or a couple pounds away the other way from being like a really, really, um, dangerous tight end. So totally agree. um, yeah, I don't know. I get yeah, that. I don't know who else you'd go with for tight end there. Um, tight end is the one position I would say that like mostly spring hype has translated into like actual um, actual production at that position. Yeah, because if you if you pop there, you're
0: usually somebody like Jake Butt or it's like you're going to you're you're probably going to play. Um, offensive line was one where I only chose three linemen. Like I said in my post, if you if you can feel free to add, you know, Taylor, the and Mason Cole since they were probably the two most consistently good linemen of this era, and they both did play in spring games. So, um, But usually when we're watching the spring game, we're looking for kind of the next lineman to emerge. Uh, So those are the guys who get written up, and I was not going to go through 10 years of spring games to find, like, which expected starter played pretty solidly in 2012, um, (laughs) which actually could not uh, – never mind. There was a spring game in 2012, I think. There were a couple uh, of years in here where they didn't play. Yeah, but I have one, Will Campbell written down here. I might have also just typoed the uh, year. Um anyway, that's giving away one from uh the defense. Uh I just have Andrew Vistardis in two thousand seventeen as kinda like he emerged right then as like, Oh, this is gonna be the dude who takes over for Caesar Ruiz and we should be fine. Um Graham Glasgow in two thousand thirteen, that was the first time that he really leapt out and it was it looked like this was not just a walk-on, that this this was somebody who could really contribute. And that was before the Glasgow's had their reputation as guys who should not be considered walk-ons. So for him to have that level of performance where we took it seriously, even though he carried that designation, um, same goes for Vastardis. That uh, seems to be a pretty promising sign, given two of the three linemen here uh, were former walk-ons. And the third is, uh, Mark Hughie, uh, in 2009, who just, for whatever reason, got, um, I think Michigan was just desperate to have anything that, uh, resembled a, a decent tackle because the 2008 offensive line was, uh, real crap too. Um, so Hughie being like a pretty solid big 10 starter type got him a whole bunch of spring hype that year. Um, so those were the three guys who kind of jumped out, um, in terms of like going back through old MGO blog posts and stuff and seeing who got mentioned
1: a lot. Yep. Yeah. No, uh, I feel like a walk on hype is, is always kind of like it's a double-edged sword because sometimes it's like Nate Shanley where it's like, Hey, we might be kind of a, uh, this might be a bad sign for like the, the position as a whole. Um, but then sometimes you'll get like Orion Glasgow or, or any Glasgow, I guess. Yeah. Um, And it'll be like, you kind of go into it thinking like, man, this is not a great sign. Like I remember Ryan Glasgow, everyone wanted Will Campbell. I, that's, that's like the first off season, like battle. I remember, um, being invested in cause Will Campbell was like that huge five-star, absolutely massive. And people were like, Oh, I guess maybe I'm misremembering it, but so it sorry. Been that, Andre but, Pipkins. That's right. It was Andre Pipkins. Oh my God. Yeah, that is some, remember some guys, Will Campbell yeah, and no. Andre Pipkins. <laughs> what a duo. Um, but yeah, it was like them. And, uh, and everyone's was like, oh, no, Ryan Glasgow, Ryan Glasgow. And I'm like, man, that's weird. And uh, it turned out Ryan Glasgow was pretty darn good um, and pretty immediately, too, which is pretty wild for a freshman or for, for not a freshman, for a walk-on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's walk-on hype is like you really got to flip a coin. Yeah, I think a lot
0: of it depends on position. Like, we've had a lot of, like, walk-on safety hype. And unless it was Jordan Glasgow, and even in that case, it was like you need to move to linebacker. Um, right, right. Like or like at wide receiver, you're just going to be really skeptical about that player meeting like the level of size and athleticism required to be a, a solid contributor. At offensive line, you can tell like is this guy six five, three hundred pounds, or is he you know six three, two seventy, which some of these walk ons that they talk up will be. And you're just like, well, like he's trying real hard, and I can tell that that's like something that they want to reward this guy for with some <laughs> with some spring hype and in a, and a mention in a press conference, but like. With some of them you can see, like, oh, like they're actually getting to go against the starters and not getting injected into the backfield, like that, <laughs> right? That they might even be getting movement the other way. Um, and that was kind of what stood out about the starters in Glasgow was like they were moving guys, and to see a, a former walk on moving guys uh, was eye opening,
1: yeah, yeah. I think, um, I have a theory about uh walk on safeties is like that's the number one position where you can just show effort the most, you know, where it's like you can go on a dead sprint to like, you know, chase down a running back or whatever and like just be a super try hard in practice. So coaches love to, um to like reward walk on safeties with like practice hype. I think that's, that's like my, uh that's my running um, theory on like why there, we always like, we're constantly getting like, you know, some walk on safety as, uh, and, and sometimes they end up being very good, but sometimes it's, it's just more hype.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we also had the, uh, um, Jordan Kovacs experience at Michigan. So I think Michigan has a kind of a um, skewed perception of what most walk-on safeties look like. Right. Um, Yes. So, yeah, but let's move to the defense. Um, Well, actually first let's stop, try to take some things away from the offense. Uh, The main thing to me was that the offense was kind of hit or miss just because the nature of the spring game makes it so that most of your contributors are going to be sitting out. (laughs) Um, And then, the area where you actually tend to play your best guys is the offensive line. And since that usually gets split in half, it's really hard to make major takeaways from the O line because that is the unit that most needs um cohesiveness. And so split splitting it in two, uh, to try to play a game that way, uh, with mixed O lines tends to have some ugly results. So I'm not surprised that like it was hard to come up with O linemen for this. And um also, that there weren't a lot of running back standouts because there just aren't a lot of big holes in the spring normally unless there's a bust. Yeah, I think your
1: offensive line takeaway is spot on. I think something, one of my takeaways um, is that there is always a freshman receiver getting hyped. Like there's always mm-hmm. one freshman receiver that gets hyped up as the star. I can't really say why, and it's kind of 50-50, right, because it was like, Mike Zayner still, Freddie Canteen, Darius Clemens, Tariq Black, uh, Roy Roundtree. Like, all those guys got hype. All, like, you know, some of those are pure misses, Freddie Canteen. And then some, like, you know, somewhere in between and that didn't really contribute until later. So, but I think it is interesting that, like, maybe that's a position that can stand out immediately as, like, having talent. But still needs, like, seasoning to the point where they're, like, actually a contributor.
0: Well, and it's also – I wonder if if part of the contribution to, like, some guys popping at receiver in spring that you wouldn't expect is that a lot of times you don't have the top or even the second-string quarterback throwing the ball. And then you got to think about who that quarterback has been practicing with and who they're comfortable throwing the ball to. And, you know, they might have not taken any snaps with the projected starters all year. So when they're out there, all of a sudden, Nate Shanley is getting targets because, like – who, who's playing quarterback with him? It might be the scout team guy. Um, so, yeah, I think offense, defense, you can just plug and play guys pretty much. Um, and you don't have to worry. I mean, ob- obviously, you know, communication is important on defense. But um, in terms of everyone needing to be familiar with the guy, the rest of the guys around them, you don't need that as much on
1: defense as you do on offense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's offense definitely struggles more with spring games because you get split up, um, especially offensive line, like you said. Um, but and then quarterback wise, I feel I think like running back's the one position, like you said, where everyone always gets taken out, like all like. So basically, if you're playing in a spring game, it means that you're fighting for backup snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the starters are always, you know, getting like one or two carries um, and then quarterbacks like I think similar to offensive line. Because there's so much rotating, it's like no one ever gets into a rhythm. And all you really ever see are like one or two good throws. And it should be noted that the uh, two clear-cut best
0: quarterback performances, 4CA uh, and Denard, um, came in years when Michigan's defense was terrible, 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 terrible. So if you see a really exciting spring game quarterback performance um, that isn't just related to like, Davis Warren's arm looks much more live than I would have expected. Um, But if it's like Tate Fournier nearly had a perfect passer rating in the spring game, like good for Tate Fournier, but also uh, probably worrisome in the, in the larger picture. Um, And it certainly was for that 2009 team um, because they couldn't guard a soul Um, defense. This one was fun because uh, this had much more consistent big names than I expected. Um, Starting with defensive end um, where uh, for two years before he emerged as a starter, uh, Chase Winovich really stood out in the spring game. And obviously, he went on to become an you know, All American. Uh, and in 2013, uh, as a redshirt freshman, or no, as a true freshman, uh, Taco Charlton uh, just kind of had to walk onto the field for people to be like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he made like one really eye popping uh, sack where he shoved an offensive tackle basically down to the center and then redirected to the quarterback. Um, I think it was Shane Morris holding the ball too long, but it was a really impressive athletic play where, um, I, I think, uh, you didn't like everybody knew that, uh, it was going to take a little while for taco to see the field. He was always thought of as pretty raw, uh, in high school, but that play, everybody saw like the, the, pretty substantial upside that he had, uh, and then I also included, uh, I didn't write him up as part of the exercise since uh, this was about taking conclusions from careers that have uh, mostly concluded at this point. But uh, I, I did also throw Mike Morris in there from from this spring. I thought he had an outstanding game. So this year's uh, hopefully he'll be able to follow in the footsteps of Winovich and uh, Charlton
1: because uh, those are two, uh, those are two first round picks right there. Yep. Um, I think, uh, Defensive line I think is one where, defensive end we're talking about right now, but defensive line in general, I feel is one where it's like, even if it's the backup offensive line, if you're seeing a guy like making plays, being disruptive, like that's pretty directly translatable, especially because even though, you know, spring game offensive lines kind of suck, the thing is that most offensive lines in college football suck. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of good practice. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there is something to be said for being able to just physically dominate, uh, which you will see. And the, and that definitely happened with these DTs. Uh, in one case for the best, and in, in one case kind of just it turned out all right. Um, Maurice Hurst, 2015. Don't have to say too much more about him. That's another All-American. Uh, will Campbell, uh, 2012 was when we were at the end of his career and really help, hoping that this would finally, finally, finally be the year that he at least showed some of that five-star potential on the defensive line. And in the spring game, he was like Michigan could not run the ball at all. And a lot of time it was Will Campbell just eating up blockers on the interior. Um, Want to take a guess who had a terrible offensive line in 2012? (laughs) Uh, But I mean, Campbell wasn't bad. He just wasn't. I mean, we've got him on a defensive line that otherwise includes uh, chase Winovich talk Charlton and Moe Hurst. Um, if you're playing which one of these does not belong it is quite obviously will
1: campbell right yeah he was he will campbell was a a, a real um forerunner of just big theory Um, (laughs) yes because he certainly was big but not much else yeah and then was immediately moved to the offensive line when he went to the nfl and Uh, stayed around for a while he did feel like i remember which is that is that's always wild when that happens when like someone that like didn't play in college just ends up uh Sticking around for like a couple of years in the NFL, very very strange. Yeah, Michigan had
0: some odd ones because they also had stuff like Jonas Muton getting picked right. in the second yeah. round, <laughs> and everybody yep. was just like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> and <laughs> that was that was apparently the correct reaction. Um, all right, linebacker, um, pretty good group here. Uh, Khalik Hudson in 2017 um, coming in to replace Gabriel Preppers at that Viper weak side linebacker, whatever you want to call it. Um, Hybrid linebacker position, uh, you could tell that he—I mean, he wasn't going to be Jabril Peppers, but you could tell that he was capable of doing everything that they were going to ask somebody to to do in that position, and also that he maybe even had a little bit more uh, physical pop um, than Peppers did because Peppers just played that position so undersized, um, and I think Hudson got close to like two twenty, whereas Peppers was at like two oh five out there, which was wild. Um, then there was Mike McRae in 2016, um, notably in spring games, linebackers usually asked to do both things except cover in space. And, uh, Mike McRae was very much in his bag for the 2016 spring game. <laughs> um, and then in 2011, uh, Jake Ryan, very good football player, um, first starts to really stand out as being, uh, a true diamond in the rough that Michigan had unearthed as a three-star coming out of, I think it was St. Ignatius in Ohio. Um, One of the bigger uh, Catholic schools uh, that had like Jake Ryan was not underscouted. Just a lot of people missed on him and thankfully Michigan did not. Um, But he was, he was a, a star in that 2011 game and, started at three different positions on the defense from that point forward and excelled at all of them, which is,
1: uh, pretty remarkable. Oh God. Yeah. I remember I'm, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to preseason articles about Jake Ryan being moved to middle linebacker. Um, I believe that was also my freshman year. And, uh, just being like, that seems bad. Um, <laughs> although actually that, that defense he was, was good. good there, he was good there, but, uh, I feel like that whole that whole offseason where they shuffled everything. It was like this is feeling ominous. The the overarching takeaway that this feels bad was correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it
0: was it was bad. It, it was, was bad. <laughs> it was real bad. Jake Ryan, quite good, and actually ended up playing inside linebacker in the NFL, yeah. uh, which I think was a surprise to us because. He seemed like an edge rusher all the way in college, but uh, I think he
1: just looks so much like Clay Matthews that the the, the Packers the were Packers just look, like, here we that's, go. "That's that's that's Clay Matthews."
0: There we go. <laughs> this is comfortable and familiar. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, uh, corner. I did actually include a 2022 guy here, um, but if you want to choose a different nickel, um, it's Trabel Peppers from the 2015 game uh, before they made him a linebacker. Um, but I had Mike Sainer still from this year. Uh, mostly based on one nice pass breakup. But these are the kind of sample sizes you tend to get in spring games. Um, At the two outside corner spots, uh, two very divergent paths here. Uh, Keith Washington in 2017 um, was the uh, former high school quarterback who ran a 40 for uh, Jim Harbaugh in the parking lot um, and immediately became like a Harbaugh guy and then moved to cornerback. And in the 2017 game, looked like a starting caliber corner. And then he transferred before that season even started Um, and ended up being a starter at West Virginia. So I don't know if it was for lack of ability or just lack of fit with the program or um, didn't like living in Ann Arbor. I mean, who knows? There are a million different factors that go into something like this. But I'm not going to say Keith Washington was a miss. He was just, uh, it just didn't pan out for Michigan in this case the other corner is jordan lewis that panned out um the 2013 is the previous year he'd just been hit with a few like basically every time he got in the field someone made like an impossible catch on him and then uh in 2014 um he was just physically dominating guys he actually got called for a couple flags in that game where like fans boo the pass interference flag uh and you could just tell that he was he was going to dominate whatever matchup he had there, and that Michigan had like a real number one corner on their hands, and that was with Lewis. Um, at the time, breaking a pretty negative perception
1: of Cast Tech cornerbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, I do remember that. Um, and uh, by the way, Keith Washington still on an active NFL roster, so um, generally, I mean, like, look, could have definitely used him. <laughs> he would have been nice on the 2020 team and honestly really the 20 uh, yeah no he, we absolutely could use him he was good he was yeah. good he just uh, didn't like Ann Armor. so um, but yeah no I think I think Mike Sanger still is gonna be I'm pretty optimistic about Mike, Mike Sanger still I think this is another position where like you can you can see if you've watched the game long enough which cornerbacks have and which don't mm-hmm. you know um, I think it's it's pretty easy to see when that guy's got like the change of direction fluidity speed to like make it happen. Like, even though he didn't make enough plays to really be considered here,
0: um, although I guess that's a little hypocritical given I put or so on, but um, Will Johnson could have made it. Right. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Just because, like, you, you needed one end zone pass breaker to be like, oh, that's a dude. Um, and that's really what you're looking for in the spring. And I think that's why sometimes the spring makes it, like, that this exercise is actually valuable, is that, sometimes we overcomplicate things and in the spring game game, it just kind of down, comes down to like, did this guy make an eye popping play or not? Um, speaking of which at safety, uh, this, um, this category is two guys who each had an interception in the spring game. And um a pretty impressive one at that. Uh, Jordan Glasgow in 2017 um, cut off a Wilton spate throw into the end zone and ran it back a hundred yards for a pick six, which, Alarmed all of us because we were not thinking of Jordan Glasgow as any sort of uh, candidate for playing time beyond his last name, particularly at safety. And meanwhile, we were kind of hoping for some decent quarterback play for once and Spate goes and does that. Um, But uh, we did get treated to uh, an early glimpse that Glasgow's defensive instincts would be quite valuable uh, for the team going forward even if uh, he ended up doing that a weak side linebacker instead of safety. And then uh, DeMonte Thomas in 2016 um, tracked a deep ball from,
1: God, who was it? Uh, it might've in, been Shane Morris. In 2016, who would the quarterbacks have been? Shane Morris and, I mean, Shane Morris and Wilton Spade. I, I could Brandon, look this up by bringing up Brandon Peters would not have been... No, yeah, he would have been on the team. Um, it would make me sad if it was Brandon Peters. All right, I'm pulling this up so that uh, <laughs> this is riveting podcasting. Oh, yeah. Um, no, the people need to know who who DeMonte Thomas picked off in the 2016 Oh, it, it was Shane game. Morris escaping the
0: pocket and trying to flip his hips while rolling right. He actually makes an incredible throw on this play. Um, but DeMonte <laughs> Thomas goes from dead in the middle of the field to making a leaping interception pretty much at the back pylon of the end zone. Um, I, I do. I was at this. Throw.
1: Yeah. I was at this game. I do remember this.
0: It's one of the most like randomly incredible plays I think I've ever seen because Thomas has to like f- go full extension while like ending a 50 yard dead sprint. Uh, and he manages to make this play. Uh, it was pretty spectacular. Uh, and Thomas would, he was. This was kind of the last year for him to also live up to his um recruiting profile. He was a high four-star uh out of Ohio State territory. Notably his cousin played running back for Ohio State. There was a whole thing with both of their recruitments. His cousin was Briante Dunn, I think was his name. Um but uh you know, Thomas had been this tremendous athlete who didn't necessarily have a position. He came in as a running back or a safety. Um and you know that that pick helped show before 2016 that he was going to help pair with uh, Delano Hill and provide Michigan with a a real solid safety duo for the first
1: time in uh, a very very long time. Yeah, that was a great, underratedly um, like every part of that defense was tremendous. Um, besides, but honestly, like really every part. I mean, Ben Gideon ended up playing in the league for a long time. So started that they, they had started, and you know, so I mean but an underrated part was the safety play um Delano Hill was tremendous and Demonte Thomas was probably relatively speaking the weak link on that entire defense um but like still very good and uh very athletic and um maybe never quite lived up to his recruiting hype but uh was was a really solid player yeah um but cool uh yeah no I think I feel like they're like a lot of hits on, in the secondary, like if you, if you play well in the secondary and like you show the athleticism, I think it's uh, it, it, it more or less does translate.
0: Yeah. And th- I mean, and that is one of those things where, I mean, being able to stay step for step with somebody is so dang hard at any level that I, I, I think there's, there's a reason that those performances tend to translate is because, I mean, I, I mentioned in uh, I think this week's newsletter that like, you really have to pay attention to context with the offense because sometimes sometimes you get something like Dennis Norfleet guarding Jerron Dukes and Jerron Dukes can just run a nine route and catch a ball at head height. And there's nothing that Dennis Norfleet can do about it. Um, And but for cornerbacks mirroring somebody and making a play, like being able to turn your head and make a play on the ball after doing so. It's such a difficult thing to do physically that I think um when you see somebody do that, even if it's in like a drill setting, um, it is a lot more meaningful than a wide receiver making a nice catch a lot of the time. Just because um there's I think a higher cutoff in terms of what you have to be as an athlete in turn in in, a, in order to even like
1: bare minimum cut it at corner. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certain, certain things are uh, certain aspects of athleticism are very obvious. It doesn't take a trained eye to, uh, to, you know, pick out what's going on.
0: And that's probably the same. I mean, in terms of defensive edge players, I think that's probably the same thing in terms of just like, can you take, you know, yourself at 270 to 280 pounds and then bend your body around the corner? Um, or in taco's case, he didn't have the best bend, but he could take an offensive tackle and move him 10 yards. Um, so those are things that kind of independent of who's going against you, um, that's going to stand out. And um, linebacker is kind of the one where you, you really needed to like make real plays, uh, I think, to um, differentiate yourself uh, because the athletic, uh, like the high end and low end of the uh, athletic spectrum is a little bit closer, uh, at least between like starters and walk-ons. Um, I mean, Mike Robleski very, came very close to making this list. <laughs> um, but uh, thankfully, Michigan has had a, a good good enough period of linebackers that he did not. Um, but I don't think there would have been a walk-on in consideration uh, at defensive end or in the secondary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of tri- – there's try-hard positions that you can make. Like, like uh, I guess – like linebacker and, and like offensive line or whatever, but there's certain positions where the the athleticism is what stands out.
0: I should uh, say, since Jordan Glasgow did get selected as a safety, he made his play in tight space
1: <laughs> and then right. and then moved to linebacker. So we're yes, going to say that. That's, that's true. Yeah. here. And also he was a good athlete. Like he, I yes. think he ran, a, he pr- ran a pretty good 40, um, in the, uh, when he went to the combine um so look the Glasgow's all like were late bloomers like they were actually good athletes it wasn't just they were (laughs) tryhards. yeah yeah Um, they don't really count as
0: walk-ons at this point um very quickly kicker Quinn Nordine 2017 when he uh booted a 48 yarder and it like crossed at the top of the uprights um which It takes a lot to have a a field goal be the talk of a spring game, but in 2017, uh, Quinn Nordine did it. Um, And then Kenny Allen in 2013, and really every year after that, just boomed punts really far. And it took him several years to actually get the starting punter job because Michigan had Will Hogger up and Matt Weil, and then they needed Kenny Allen to kick, so they brought in uh, Blake O'Neill, And then finally, Kenny Allen got to be a punter in 2016. And did really well. Um, that leg translated. Um, so he stood out, I think, in, in large part because, like, first of all, he was a backup punter who jumped out, and also because he did it like four years in a row. Um, yeah. So that translates. Nordine, on the other hand, was a one-kick wonder in the spring and uh, <laughs> had an extremely up and down career at Michigan, although uh, also holds some records for uh, um, he has the most 40-yard field goals in Michigan history and is tied for the most 50-yard field goals. So, um, if you ever hit a field goal from 48 out and it goes through the top of the uprights, you probably have a pretty big leg.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, Quinn Nordeen is a land of contrast. <laughs> um, that's all we can really say about that drafted by the, the the uh new england patriots somehow a um,
0: very very well-run nfl organization yeah.
1: that occasionally does some very confounding things on draft day <laughs> yep and um yeah that, that it is funny that that's uh that like i feel like we give we give uh, bill belichick so much credit but he really does make some pretty wild draft decisions but uh, credit to him to keep winning anyway um Uh, He also loves him some Michigan players. Nobody loves drafting and uh, signing Michigan players like Bill Belichick. It's crazy how many are on the team right now. That's
0: true. It's going to be weird seeing Chase Winovich not in a New England jersey because his rookie contract expired and
1: he is now a Cleveland Brown, I think. Yeah, it'll be easier to root for him. That was getting too uncomfortable. It's like I'm like, he fits in too well. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So it'll be cool to see him on a uh, potentially, well, Oh, wait, never mind. Uh, I just thought I thought about rooting for the Browns. And I, I so in the NFL offseason, like I'm constantly just forgetting what moves take place because um, I just don't or like which quarterbacks back. have totally fallen out of right. favor with everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like I was thinking I'm like, well, like the, at first I was like I was thinking like, oh, like, oh well, the, the Browns kind of suck. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, but they got Deshaun Watson. And then like it took a second for my brain to remember that we're mad at Deshaun Watson. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> which, click that in. Yeah, fully. Right. Oh, yeah, Exactly. No. I'm like, oh um, no, yeah, not good, no bueno. Um, yeah, so we'll be rooting for Chase Winovich, not necessarily the Browns. No. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, um, all right, so
0: with this all spring game team, is there anything else that kind of jumped out to you before we uh, move on to ad reads?
1: Uh, no, I, I think I think we mostly covered it. I think it's uh, I think it's 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 fair to say that like maybe you know it maybe the spring game is more informative than we were giving it credit for um, before, you know, when we were making fun of it, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago um, because it seems like a lot of these guys hit more than not. And the guys that didn't hit, it seems like there was pretty, you know, explainable reasons why they didn't, you know, so uh, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, it's, it's encouraging because I liked a lot of what I saw at the spring game. Um, so, you know, the uh, national title soon come. Yes. Um, Yeah, I would say this definitely
0: points towards more watching the spring game as uh, a showcase of individuals and as a way to pick up indications about the team at large, because, I mean, you got Cade McNamara coming out saying, like, we didn't run anything. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I mean, I, I don't I have no idea what you're supposed to take away from whatever the final score was and how they split those two teams up and what they ran and what they didn't run and how that is supposed to translate to the fall. Um, you know, we've had years where the offense put together a couple good drives and then couldn't do anything once the season started. We've had kind of the opposite happen. Um but if an individual player really jumps out to you, especially apparently if that player is on defense, um that seems to be worth uh worth noting. All right. We are as always brought to you by Homefield apparel use the promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com it is refresh season um we are in uh the tail end of week one of five weeks of new apparel for existing Homefield schools with one to three new shirts for 21 different schools uh so far this week um three new t-shirts and a pair of joggers for baylor have dropped and a new uh, UC Irvine track and field anteater tea, which is absolutely fantastic, uh, came out on Wednesday. Uh, Friday, when I presume most of you will be listening to this, there will be two new Louisville, Louisville tees. I'm trying to get the uh, regional pronunciation correct. Louisville. Um, and, uh, yeah, that may not be your bag as a Michigan fan, but uh, there's going to be uh, four more weeks of this. And, uh, yeah, I, I suspect that there will be some uh, – some new, new things that will catch your eye down the road. Uh, we are also, as, as always, uh, brought to you by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is BUCKET, P-R-O-B, all one word, Please gamble responsibly set limits, avoid chasing losses, never bet what you can't afford to lose, take breaks when you beat it and use the self-exclusive feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone, you know, is a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, real quick, we're going to um, hop through some spring news from Jim Harbaugh's appearance on uh, the athletic departments <laughs> in the Durentious podcast. Believe it or not, they get a uh, pretty good access there. Um, I just have a few quick bullet notes um, from stuff that was written up, uh, mostly uh, by Alejandro Zunega over at 247 Sports. Um, JJ McCarthy will be throwing again starting on Monday. Um, That is obviously uh, good news. Um, And also, uh, if you were reading certain message boards earlier this spring, um, you've been had. You've been (laughs) had again. Shocking. I can't believe this keeps happening. (laughs)
1: I can't believe the site, uh, we'll, we'll say off four, um, (laughs) has lied to me yet again.
0: (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, meanwhile, uh, we were mentioning that, um, the, uh, spring game is basically an audition for like the number three running back spot. Well, uh, that's what this year's was and Tavier Dunlap currently leads, um, for the number three running back spot, um, Harbaugh also uh, confirmed that uh, Khalil Mullings has become a um, full-time two-way player, I guess, um, and had some real nice things to say about his performance at running back, but it also sounds like they just kind of need his body at linebacker right now. Um, that's more my uh, um, inference than what Harbaugh was saying directly. Right?
1: But Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's like slightly negative. I'm not going to freak out about it. Cause I think, Colson and, 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 uh, Nikai Hill green will be a, a solid starting two, And, and there really, it's a, like to have a guy with that experience there is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, but I would say like for depth, like you would like to them to be comfortable enough to just move him to running back. Cause he looked way better there than at mm-hmm. linebacker, but you know, it's, it, you got guys coming in. Um, I'm not going to freak out about the third linebacker spot. Yeah, especially since it's more probably like the fourth linebacker spot with uh, with mullings, um, right? Yeah, uh,
0: Harbaugh was uh, kind enough to give us the entire starting offensive line, um, which from left to right goes Ryan Hayes, Trevor Keegan, Olu Oluwatimi, Zach Zinter, and Trente Jones at right tackle. Um, three of those pretty much the same as last year Hayes, Keegan, and Zinter. Uh, Ola was a Remington finalist last year. So it's not a surprise that he is beating out Greg Crippen at center. Harbaugh also had, uh, some good words for, about Crippen. So that's nice to hear in terms of his development, but Ola didn't come here not to start. And Trente Jones, it just sounds like he's really seized that position over what could have been a pretty wide ranging competition. There are a lot of guys that can potentially play right tackle on the roster, but, um, I'm encouraged by the fact that it sounds like they've landed on uh, a starting five already and that they can head into the fall really just
1: getting those guys reps together yeah I mean look you've got four four of those guys or or three of those guys like like you said same as last year um, when they're probably gonna get better you know those those guards were starting for their first years basically so like they there's definitely still they were good last year and there's still room to get a lot better. Um, Hayes is uh, you know, hasn't quite lived up to you know his potential yet, but still another year of development, and he was good last year. Um, and then Olotimi, we expect to be very good. Remington finalist, we've said this already. Um, and then Jones had to beat out like a thousand guys for that right tackle spot. Uh, and it seems like he won it pretty authoritatively, which is best case for the spring. So I don't know. I look at this offensive line and it's like these are some big big boys that mm-hmm. we know are good at football and they they really fit Michigan's power running scheme. Um they're upgrading at the most important spot at center uh and as again no no disrespect to a who we love as a walk on king um but do think I do think Olozie will be an upgrade especially when it comes to like run blocking. Yeah. I I I'm super high on this offensive line. I think they're going to I think we're going to have Michigan's best I'm not going to say it's it's it'll it's weird to say best since 2019 because that's not that long ago but I think it'll be like in that same tier as 2019 yeah and that was obviously a very talented uh, offensive line that
0: sent pretty much everybody to the NFL so uh right cool with that um moving over to the defense just a couple quick notes here um Harbaugh said Mozzie Smith may be Michigan's best defensive player which sounds pretty good to me um uh, yeah, I mean, you would definitely hope that someone steps up at the interior of the defensive line. Smith was a pretty good player last year, and if he's going to be a, a true anchor in the middle of that line, then that um, may help Michigan get a little bit more organic, yeah, bo- both strength of a run defense and maybe get the more organic pass rush than we're expecting um, if he's absorbing blockers uh, and being dominant instead of just uh, a space
1: eater so yeah it'll be interesting because he flashed last year um I I I haven't seen him be like the dominant defensive tackle that people tend to think he is um yet in his career not that I, you know last year was just his re- real first year getting like serious playing time so I'm not saying that as a negative but um if is saying this like he's generally been pretty like upfront about who is you know who are the best players on the team in, in years past so I uh, I've got no reason to doubt him here and um, I'm excited because there's also enough depth. I feel that we can, he doesn't have to like be an iron man and play every snap. Like he can be really high impact when he's in there. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Will
0: Johnson is quote, gonna play unquote. And uh, we'll also fight for a starting spot. Not exactly news, but um, encouraging that he is
1: on uh, what seems to be the, the track he should be on. Yep. Um, yeah, I I've already said I'm pretty high on him. Uh, I think he's going to be ready, and uh, good to hear that you know that he's he's going to play. Not not much there, I guess. Um, I will say it's pretty funny that uh, you know it, it's cool that they have this podcast, and it's kind of interesting because like normally these types of availabilities, like coaches, will not say very much. Jim Harbaugh loves to get on the MGo Blue podcast and just like say like pretty revealing stuff <laughs> like you really can't uh you cannot control what jim harbaugh says when he gets a mic in front of his face on this podcast yeah i mean because
0: it, yeah it's a very different setting he's there with people he's comfortable with right and i don't know it there there are different rules for what what you can say in there it <laughs> seems like so yeah uh um, i'd be frustrated if i uh were a media member who actually was actively on the beat instead of uh you know, not really doing the press conference thing ever. Um, but makes no difference to me now. If it it comes out one way or the other, (laughs) not my problem. (laughs) So I I do feel bad for the beat, the beat writers, but, uh, yeah, um, it is nice that Michigan, uh, you know, feeds us our slop in some way. Um, (laughs) speaking of which we, we have some, some sloppy content coming up because we are about to focus on ESPN's, uh, newly released FPI rankings. Um, I believe that stands for football prediction index. And uh, yeah, um, they don't really tell you uh, how the sausage is made necessarily, or uh, it's, it's not quite like SP plus where Bill Connolly has really uh, pulled back the hood on how everything works. Um, FPI is a more like ESPN wants to keep this proprietary and, not necessarily let you know exactly um how it all gets put together but uh they did rank all 131 uh FPS teams and these are projections and you know playoff chance percentages and numbers that we're going to see getting used on ESPN all season so we might as well get a little bit familiar with them uh, I have broken this up into the uh, Big Ten East, Big Ten West, and Michigan's non-conference opponents. Um, We're not going to go through the whole FPI list, obviously. But um, real quick, Big Ten East, um, Ohio State is projected second in the entire country uh, and projected to only have a single solitary loss. And these projections notably include the possibility of a team moving into the postseason. So these numbers do not necessarily even out to a full
1: uh, round number of games. Played. I just noticed that it's like it's it's 11.8 and 1.0. 1. Thank yes. you, ESPN. That's yeah. perfect. That's it's, awesome. It's wonderful the way they do
0: this. Um, Michigan, uh, second highest ranked team in the Big Ten at seventh in the nation. Uh, 9.5 and 2.6 is Michigan's projected record. Uh, oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Penn State, 12th. Michigan State, 16th. They're both projected to have around eight wins. Um, Then we finally get to the first Big Ten West team, that is Wisconsin at 21. Um, They're projected to also go around eight and four. Um, Then you get Nebraska at 35 and Iowa at 38 and Minnesota at 40, a bit of a murderer's row of the... uh, Second crust of the Big Ten West
1: that's, there. That's that's definitely one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the class of murders row of Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, <laughs> <of> something. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's going to murder your uh, desire to watch football. Uh, <laughs> Maryland uh, breaks up the Big Ten West run at forty three, even though they're almost a full win below the projections of these Big Ten West teams because they they play a significantly harder schedule. Um, Purdue is 44th, uh, one spot behind Maryland. Then we get down towards the dregs. Illinois, 73rd projected for only four and a half wins. Uh, Northwestern, uh, 4.3 wins, 82nd, a 0.3% chance of winning the Big Ten West by FBI's projections. That is brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. They're lower than Illinois. What the hell is going on? Um, and finally, bringing up the very rear with a, a, a very clean 4.0 to 8.0 projected record are your Rutgers Scarlet Knights.
1: Wow, that's um, kind of... Is that, is that disrespectful to Rutgers, we feel like, to be, to be the lowest team in the Big Ten this year? Like, Northwestern, I mean, I guess they suck, but there's other teams in the Big Ten that suck.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I could see... I mean, this is going to anger some people, but uh, it kind of feels like Indiana's football program is in a a sort of shambolic state. (laughs) Right, yeah, definitely. Like, they've had some movement on the coaching front and the player front where it just feels like a program that has some problems um, that go beyond just what they're doing on the football field. Um, I could see Rutgers uh, at least passing them uh, to not be in the basement of the Big Ten East. And with Northwestern, I mean, that that team might also be just absolutely abject, um, but they could also win nine games because it's Northwestern and That's being true. terrible has never stopped them. <laughs>
1: uh, right.
0: So, I mean, I mean honestly, maybe the, Illinois the big... is the team that should probably be taking up the rear, but <laughs> they have Brett Bielema now. I don't know. Like
1: the, the Big Ten West is honestly just a. it's like sometimes winning football isn't about being good at football, you know? <laughs> it's it's um, just about
0: whose kicker is better, really, <laughs> um, and, and punter. But yeah, I feel like with the Big Ten West, you could largely, I mean, other than Wisconsin, just um, throw those teams' names in a hat, shake it up, and just just draw them, and you'd have a good goodest chance if anybody is
1: uh, getting the order correct. As yeah, long as I you're agree in Illinois relatively late. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that honestly though, I'm a little bit, you know, I haven't done like any season preview type stuff yet. Um, I'll start working on that in the next couple of weeks, but, um, it's, I, I think it'll be the big time West to be interesting again, because there's no clear differentiator besides Northwestern maybe. And honestly, I think FPI is kind of low on Illinois. I think they're a program that's on the relative rise. They were a lot more competent last year. I think they've got a lot coming back. Um, but like that Nebraska Iowa Minnesota Purdue, like those teams are all between thirty five and forty five, and that's that'll be an interesting kind of you know uh, little like dog fight, and then in, in you the know way that the Big Ten West is always an interesting right. dog fight. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it close. Didn't say what kind of dog? Close <laughs> yeah, doesn't it's mean certainly good. close. Um, <laughs> and then Wisconsin just kind of skating by again on like you know they're going to have a good defense, and at this and point they got a really can, good running back. Right, they have a really good running back, and so they should have a good running game. But it's interesting because Wisconsin's kind of like lost some of the lust. I mean, I know this is like Big Ten blasphemy to say, but Wisconsin's offensive line is it on fraud watch? Are we on? A little are we on Wisconsin little offensive line pack watch. I mean, I look. I, I'm going to say I'm the first one with this with this take right now. Like, I think Wisconsin's like venerated like offensive line. Um, uh, group has has really kind of fallen on some hard times recently uh, but they have a good enough running back and like they have enough big white guy, white guys that, <laughs> that they'll, they'll 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 probably figure something out in the in the, uh, in the run game so um, but I think I think the Big Ten West can be interesting I think the Big Ten East you know definitely more definitely more firepower um, I think the big X factor there is um, can Maryland finally like have a good enough offense to maybe like compete to to compete for like second or third in the division. Um I think Indiana and Rutgers are I think Rutgers is maybe getting better, but it's still gonna be bad. Indiana, like you said, seems like a program that's really kind of coming off the rails right now, unfortunately. Um and uh Ohio State, Michigan, I mean like I think Ohio State's gonna is gonna be really, really good. Um unfortunately I think their their offense is still really great um and they got a good defensive coordinator. Uh, as opposed to last year where they had no defensive coordinator. Um, Michigan, we, you know, how we feel about them I feel like it's an easy schedule that they can run through pretty well. And then, you know, it'll be interesting to see like Michigan state, Penn state, can Penn state finally like can Penn state rebound um, feels like they almost kind of have to with how much talent they have uh, and, you know, maybe figure out how to have an offensive line for once in a decade. Um, and then can Michigan state follow up last year, which was w- in which they were better than expected, but I think, you know, definitely one of the luckier teams in the country. Um, won a lot of close games. So it's it, the, those are the X Factors in the East. And then I think the West is just going to be like kind of a, a muddled mess. <laughs> All
0: right. So I, I went on Wikipedia to, to check on the Wisconsin O line uh, Pack Watch status and, uh, <laughs> You want to take a guess, uh, when was the last time Wisconsin produced an offensive lineman who got drafted in one of the first two rounds? Ooh, um,
1: was it – oh, I know exactly who this is, actually. It's – he would have been drafted in 2019, and it's that tackle – uh, his name is like it's like Taylor something. Um or am I totally wrong? Am I wrong? You're totally wrong. But uh, I, when I I like where you're going with this. <laughs> it's it's Ryan Ramchick, the offensive technical. Okay, it, you, you know it's two thousand seventeen. Oh, okay. You know what? That is who I, I can't even really claim this. Cause I was so wrong, <laughs> but that is actually who I was thinking of. I was just wrong about a, the year and B who it was. So I guess in, in, in all the ways that matter, I was very wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, it, this is, a, that is obviously a pretty high bar to
0: set for you know, producing offensive linemen, but you go back and you look at the previous years and, you know, 2007, They produce Joe Thomas. He goes third overall. Um, 2011, they have Gabe Karimi go in the first round. 2012, they have Kevin Zeitler go in the first round and Peter Kahn's go in the second round. Uh, 2013, they have Travis Frederick go in the first round. Uh, 2015, Rob Havenstein goes in the second round. They have been... And then 2017, Ramchak goes in the first round. They have consistently been producing... Uh, at least one or two really high-end offensive line prospects pretty much every year Um, until the last four or five years. It has mostly dried up into – they had Michael Dieter go in the third round, and other than that, it is kind of mid- to late-round guys. Like I mean, their most recent lineman drafted was Cole Van Lannen, who went in the sixth round and got drafted as a guard when he'd spent most of his career at tackle um so it does feel like wisconsin's offensive line i mean and we've also seen this on the field um that they have taken a step back from their peak and it'll be interesting to see if they can regain that or if that's a more permanent loss
1: yeah um, i think i think we can talk about this more in the offseason when we get like more into previews but although we probably won't talk most much about wisconsin since michigan doesn't play them this year thank god um <laughs> but i think it's interesting that when you see them come up against teams that can actually like play with them physically, that's where I see, I think you've seen them really take a heart. like they have not run the ball against like a, an Ohio state or a, or Michigan, a good, Mich- really, a good, good Michigan, but a yeah. good Michigan defense in yeah. 2020, they did in 2020, 2019, they did it. But that, that was when Michigan was playing with like no offensive tackles, but they like the better teams in their schedule have been able to really stop them. Um, they're still big enough that like, they can lean on, you know, like the lesser Big Ten West competition and run for like, you know, 4.3 yards per carry. But I think, like, they're they're coasting on fumes as far as, like, reputation goes. Um, so, yeah. It is we're a on.
0: defense-driven program at this point. That is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, very quickly, uh, Michigan's non-conference schedule. Um, it's bad. It's really yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, let's, let's make this very quick. Colorado <laughs> State projected 112th. Hawaii projected 108th. UConn projected 130th out of 131 teams there. That's a garbage non-conference schedule. But one that you can be pretty comfortable watching knowing Michigan, uh, if they lose, um, it, it's going to
1: be a whole thing. Um, and you should probably not have to worry about that. Yeah, um, I'll uh, I, I think we'll be talking more about non-conference this year. Um, but I, I think it, it sucks for fans, but I do, you know, I, 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 we'll, we'll i'll expound upon this take more as we talk more in the off season but um i think that you know when when you're a program like michigan and the only real goal is like get to the college football playoff and be you know one of and the the you know the the ncaa has made it so clear that, like that's all that matters that's all we're going to promote and the only way to get there is to go 11 and one or 12 and 0 like i why and would you, you play in, and you right and you play in the Big Ten East. Like I'm not saying I like that. I'd much rather they play someone interesting for my own you know rooting interest. But like if you're talking about the, all of the incentives for these programs, make it so that there's no reason to play a good out. If you play in a good league, there's no reason to play a good out of conference schedule. So that's all I'll say about that for now. I'm sure we'll talk about it more.
0: And I mean to that point, um, you know, uh, with these FPI projections they put out. Um, percentage chances for a whole bunch of things, including going undefeated, getting at least six wins, winning your division and conference, and they also making the playoffs, national championship game, winning the national championship game. Um, Michigan has a 14.8% chance, uh, of making the playoffs according to FPI. Uh, that's the seventh best odds in the country. Um, they have only a 7.2% chance of winning the Big Ten by the very same algorithm. Um, <laughs> Uh, That's because Ohio State has a nearly 74% chance of winning the conference and an even higher percentage chance of making the playoff. Um, They have the highest of anybody at 82.3% and a 50-50 shot at making the national championship game. Um, Although they do not have the highest national title odds, that would be Alabama, but Alabama has Georgia to contend with, um, and Georgia is considered a tougher team than Michigan, quite fairly. Uh, We all watched those teams play each other. Um, But, yeah, to Dan's point, um, Michigan has double the chances of making the playoffs as they do of winning their own conference. And until the incentives are changed for that, we're going to continue getting non-conference schedules uh, that do not feature interesting games uh, because you're just planning to keep your record clean as much as you can um, instead of trying to rack up a signature win. Um, I wanted to mention the, uh, most likely group of five darlings, uh, this year really quick after, um, first of all, there are only four teams with a better than two and a half percent chance of winning the national title. According to FBI. Those are, um, the four teams you expect Alabama at 30%, Ohio state at 27%, Georgia at 23% and Clemson at 11%. I would pry fade Clemson there. Um, at least until they show they have a quarterback, um, but uh, um, of the teams in the group of five who are most liked um, Boise state to have a good chance of going undefeated, but their strength of schedule is just going to be too crappy for them to raise too high. Um, so Cincinnati gets projected at number 32 uh, with a 0.4% chance of making the playoffs. This is a team that made the playoff last year. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, Cincinnati, probably your most likely playoff darling. The other one is UCF who's ranked one spot behind them and gets a, uh, 1.9% shot at going undefeated and an 0.2% shot at making the playoff. Um, uh, the under, the sh- shot at going undefeated numbers get really skewed by ESPN, including postseason games and their projections. Um, ESPN weird with data. Like I just, I don't get it. I don't get why they present things in the way that they do. Um, and also that they hide most of Bill Connolly stuff. I hate it. Um, uh, but here we are. Um, and so I wanted to get to, before we duck out of here, um, who are of the teams that we've mentioned here, because we obviously don't want to go countrywide on this thing. Um, so in the big 10 or in Michigan's non conference, although I don't know why you buy or fade anybody in Michigan's non conference. Um, Who are we fading and who are we buying?
1: Dan, who you got? So in terms of comparing it to the current records or or the projected records Mm -hmm. here, um, if we're just going like pure like Delta versus like actual win and loss versus projected, I think I am going to buy Illinois. It's um, a terrifying statement to make. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just feel like the whole middle of the Big Ten West, like, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to try to get into that. That's, that seems like a hornet's nest of like anything could happen. Um, I don't really see any value in the Big Ten East because I kind of feel like there's, you know, Ohio State, like, you can't, I can't buy them. They're literally 12 and one. And I think that's fair. Michigan's got a crazy easy schedule. Um, Penn State, like, yeah i think they could overperform but at the same time it's a really tough schedule you know i'm not gonna go down the entire list like anyone in the big 10 east it's like it's really hard to like make a differentiated like projection because even if a team is of better quality than than is projected there's still like just so many guaranteed losses you know um it's like the really the only one you can play around with is like maybe Michigan state could like either be better than we think or worse than we think. That's really the only one. And I'm not, I'm I'm out of the projecting Michigan state business for a couple more weeks. So so, uh, with all that said, um, I'm going to say, yeah, I think Illinois, because Illinois below that like middle of the pack big 10 west and i think they could get into that middle of the pack big 10 west and maybe like they're at four and five i could see them winning six games and uh you know then you that's a pretty healthy like reaching that purdue of, level baby right yeah they they could absolutely get into that purdue to, to purdue level right um you know i mean there's no, nothing keeping them from being minnesota and like think Iowa's gonna stink and nebraska's nebraska so why not um i'll i'll buy illinois and i'm gonna i'm gonna sell indiana um, just because even though they're they're low, I think that just like things are coming off the rails there. I don't they don't really have any good players either. Like I don't I don't know. I think they could like have a really bad season. Like I think they could go like they go like two and ten. Um, I, I just yeah. I, I thought and very I,
0: seriously about them being my my sell.
1: <laughs> and and that's that's harsh for a team that's already in the bottom of the Big <laughs> Ten. It's only projected to win four point uh, <laughs> three games. And look, I, I don't think they've hit the bottom yet. No. <laughs>
0: Um. Uh, yeah. No. I. I agree with you that it, I had a really hard time finding a team to buy, <laughs> because I mean you landed on Illinois and they they do say buy low and that that is a, a good low place to start. <laughs> um. I didn't want to buy Indiana. I certainly don't want to buy Rutgers. Um. I absolutely don't want any part of Northwestern. Um. So then you start getting into. I don't know. I started looking at the big 10 West and started looking at these teams and going, do I think any of them are any good? And the answer is no, (laughs) No. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: but but Wisconsin could have a good defense. And I could just see this being a year where Wisconsin is clearly like the best team in the big 10 West. And that's all it takes for them to get past a relatively easy non-conference schedule. They play Washington state at home. They should handle that just fine. And then they don't play Michigan. They don't play Penn state. And, They get Ohio State on the road, which is almost good at that point because it's like if you're going to lose that game, you might as well have it burn up a road game. Right, Um, right. So, and then they get Wisconsin at home. I don't believe in Nebraska. They do have to travel to Nebraska and Iowa, but, I mean, your mileage may vary on how good those teams are. Um, So, I mean, if I'm just looking at, like, which Big Ten West teams do I trust? Wisconsin is the only one that I can kind of feel decent about especially as Iowa trickles farther and farther into Brian Ferentz slowly taking over for his dad. Uh, I just, uh, I can't, I can't be like, I'm going to take the over on Iowa. I'm never going to take the over on yes. Iowa in anything, you can. You um, can. except scoring points in a basketball game. I will take the over <laughs> on Iowa then. Um, as long as it's
1: not a tournament basketball game.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, regular season only. Uh, uh, and then my fade is Penn state. Um, even though eight and four seems like a pretty reasonable record for them. That is, that does come in a tiny bit below their projection of 8.3 and the big 10 East is going to be tough. Um, they have a non-conference road game at Auburn, which could just be like Penn state walking into what basically feels like a foreign country. And it doesn't even matter that Auburn is not that good. Um, They also have a very weird opener at Purdue on September 1st, which could be a little tricky. And
1: I am right. You're damn right. That can
0: be tricky. I mean, and if you're looking at the battle of quarterbacks in that game, I would take Aiden O'Connell over Sean Clifford. I would say 10 times out of 10. I do not trust Sean Clifford at all. Penn state fans don't trust Sean Clifford at all. I think they want their hyped freshman to just beat him out for the job. And I don't think that's going to happen because Sean Clifford came back in the first place. Um, And I just don't know if that team with the talent they've lost on defense, the fact that Brent Pry is now gone, their defensive coordinator, um, has now taken a head coaching job. um, That seems like a team that has enough shaken up where you don't trust the quarterback. You obviously don't trust the offensive line. That running game has been in shambles for a while, regardless of the talent that they put in the backfield. And they don't have the difference makers on defense that I think they've had of late. So I just, I don't know if they quite belong, you know, within sniffing distance of Michigan, like they are. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could say it they be a tough year.
1: Tough team because it feels like they really are, um, they it feels like they're just talent only at this point. And I know that we say that about a lot of teams, and like everyone loves to say like any team that like doesn't win the national title. It's like, Oh, they're wasting so much talent and people said that about Michigan for a long time. But like Penn state really is like, we're just going to get a bunch of top hundred players and let them go out there and do their thing. Like it doesn't feel like they have like a, a vision for their program or like a whole lot of really creative coaches. Um, it's just kind of talent at this point and they are talented. So, you know, in the bit <laughs> that can still win you a lot of games, but it's, it really feels like they're they're just kind of treading water right now. It's it's a bizarre place for the the team to be, but they continue to really recruit well, so I don't know. Yeah. But it's like they lose Jahan Dotson, and I just
0: don't know yeah. if there was a guy last year who really showed that they could replace that. But they, that but they always,
1: you know what, though, I, I agree with you, and I, I agree like when I'm looking at the roster, but it's like it seems like they always find one guy, True. you know what I mean? It's like they always find one guy to be like the only good player on the <laughs> offense, and like yeah, that guy was KJ Hamler, and then it was Jahan Dotson, and right, uh, and before that, it was it was uh, yeah, uh, Robinson, and, and, and then it was Saquon, and there were more guys on those offenses, but you, you, I mean, when they had Chris Godwin and uh, Kisiki That was uh, and that was, that was pretty loaded. That was that right. was a good option. <laughs> the, the lesson here is, yeah, the, the lesson here is like if, if Penn State finds a second guy, it's over for you. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, right now, we're, we're still
0: looking for the first guy, yeah. Right. Exactly. So that, that, exactly. that's and that's why I'm fading that we we got to see uh, we they got to produce two guys, and right now we're not even sure about one. Um, whereas Wisconsin, is like, well, they have a, a really good running back and I feel like that's going to be enough for them to win nine games. Yep. Yeah. You're probably right about that. Um, but, um, I think the big lesson here is that, uh, the big 10 West should be, um, it, all of it should be imprisoned, The whole thing.
1: Okay? Every,
0: every single <laughs> Space person jail involved. for
1: the big 10 West. Yeah, yes, it's We hate it. It's, it's going to be. But it rules dude i love watching big 10 west football i re- i'm not even just saying that because like oh it's like epic like i think it's cool i think i think that like just having this like entire conference that's based around like just unappealing football that ends up being like you get to root for touchdowns in a way that like touchdowns are such an, such like an unprecedented event in every big 10 game or a big 10 west game that, that purdue isn't playing in Um, and it's, it's cool. I really do enjoy it. I like watching big 10 West games, like after Michigan's played at noon, like, it's like one of my favorite things to do. So it's, it's, this talk got me excited for some big 10 football because I'm a, I'm a sick little piggy. I mean, I I will admit that like betting on the
0: under and then watching a big 10 West game is one of my favorite things to do (laughs) because you're just sitting there like, Oh, how delightful. How are they going to do this? Like, cause they they might threaten to score, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, oh! No one loves to threaten to score
1: more than Big Ten West teams. They, they threaten to score. Oh, Northwestern's at the forty. Like, yeah, right? Let's it's, see like, what do it's like they. It's like, and they're driving, and it's like, yeah, I bet they are, huh? <laughs> like how far is the snap going to go over the quarterback's head? Let's find out.
0: <laughs> oh God, that's funny. But all right. Yeah. Well, now that we have talked up uh, Big Ten West football, we clearly should uh, leave this podcast and go take care of ourselves personally. So. Um, <laughs> That is all for this week Um, and we'll see uh, the podcast schedule might be a little more intermittent as we uh, go deeper into the off season here. So um, I will keep people posted on the newsletter regarding uh, the podcast schedule Um, follow and on Twitter, because I know not all of you uh, subscribe to the newsletter Um, follow at bucket problem, go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to that newsletter and the bonus podcast Um, rate review and subscribe to this year free podcast. Use the promo code BucketProb at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code BucketProb on PointsBet. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.